and just to say to everybody, we, we are recording this because we like to disseminate these sessions um, um, simply because the, the um, I suppose, colleagues are from all over the world and we just want to connect with everybody. So a warm welcome to everyone, uh, particularly to Roland and to Mark. Um, I think this topic is so palpable. It's something that is on our minds uh, very much at the moment as we still live through this pandemic. And what I'm going to do now, just in terms of order, I'm inviting colleagues on the call to please put any questions they have as the session progresses into the chat, and we will return to them a bit later. Firstly, we're going to ask Roland to introduce himself to you, and then we will ask Mark to introduce himself to you, and we will get started from there. So Roland, would you mind introducing yourself to our colleagues and um, your, your, I suppose, your professional background and maybe your interest in this particular topic? just to get everybody to understand uh, where you're coming from. Yes, thank you, Fiona, for your kind introduction. So my name is Roland Naul. I'm now involved for about 50 years with the University of Münster and, and Essen. And since 2013, since my retirement at the University of Essen, I'm here again at Münster as a senior professor for European studies in physical education and youth sport. And this donation already makes clear that my interest in physical education, school sport and youth sport outside school is uh, not only focused on the German uh, culture, but on the European Union. So in the recent 20 years, I did some uh, European studies, whether it was with Erasmus Plus or commissioned work, and in particular for ISAP. My first ISAP meeting was in 1986 at the University of Heidelberg. And since that time, I attended more than a dozen ISAP regular conferences. Thank you. So you are an advocate for ISAP. So this is why it's very special that you are here, Roland. I'm going to just ask um, Mark Tremblay, so Professor Mark Tremblay, to just introduce himself to colleagues as well before we begin. Sure. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's not noon here. It's six in the morning, uh, still a couple hours till daylight. Um, but uh, um, uh, relative to Roland, uh, I'm, I'm a rookie, I guess, to ASAP. Um, I've not been involved with the agency all that much um, in the past, but uh, perhaps in the future. I'm a senior scientist at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario Research Institute here in Ottawa, Canada, where I'm also a full professor of pediatrics in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. And I have um, visiting professorships at uh, five other universities on uh, five other continents um, around the world. A lot of my work is global. I'm the president of the Active Healthy Kids Global Alliance, um, and so work with uh, some of the people on the call here, I see by their names, um, around the world. Um, also a strong advocate of the outdoors, and I'm currently chair of Outdoor Play Canada and the chair of the Sedentary Behavior Research Network. I lead a, a large research group with a very broad research program um, that includes doing things like surveys on how COVID-19 has affected the lives of our kids here in Canada and elsewhere. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thanks so much, Mark. Um, so it's, as I said, this is very timely and our colleagues have done significant uh, research and collated significant research in this particular area. And I think it's a moment where uh, colleagues certainly um, amongst the, the ISEP um, profession and the ISEP community, um, it's a really important moment for us to consider what Mark and what Roland are going to bring to the table today. So please ask those questions. This is a really special moment to have these two wonderful colleagues with us. So I'm going to pass across to you, Roland, first to make your presentation and uh, please pop the questions into the chat and then we will move to Mark and open the floor for general discussion. OK, so thank you, everybody. Over to Roland first. Well, I copied this beautiful picture just to, to start with shared coffee, because as Mark already said, he's very early in the morning and the Australian colleagues are very late in the evening. So coffee maybe is needed on these two continents as well as in Europe. Well, I would like to start 
Wo ist, äh, kannst du mir diese Bilder hier wegmachen? Nein, das geht nicht ganz. Uh, with, a with an introduction, just at a glance. So to, to my findings, there are more than 200 empirical COVID-19 studies conducted globally, all continents and subcontinents like India or South America are covered. Sample sizes of COVID-19 studies vary between less than 50 young people and more than 8,000 participants uh, in, in the age of children and adolescents. Of course, there are also studies with uh, the elderly, for instance, in Japan, up to 80 years old, but gradually the age groups range between six and 65, and predominantly the age six to 16 school age children are targeted in most of the COVID-19 studies. Mainly online surveys, we have cross-sectional designs predominant. And as I already mentioned, six to 16 years are the children and adolescents studies. Uh, many studies uh, rely on self-reports and also proxy reports of parents for younger children. Uh, there are a few longitudinal COVID-19 studies of different ways of uh, COVID. The first wave, second wave are also compared, but they are still rare longitudinal studies between the different COVID waves. The main purposes I identified are reduce different items of an active lifestyle versus increased items of a sedentary lifestyle as already Mark Temple referred to. And items of review are mainly uh, in how far the time load of daily physical activities are violated uh, by very less than 60 minutes as, as a yardstick and how far violated screen, screen time. The norm is at least in Europe two hours daily are also violated. We have a strong COVID impact on fitness and motor development. Different items of psychosocial well-being and mental health are also included in different other studies. That just at a glance. <clears throat> so I will refer to two German studies, then some European studies, and what is psychosocial effects caused by COVID-19. And I will finish with a matrix just to summarize the domains and indicators of COVID-19 studies. Maybe Fiona at the end of our session, we can refer to my summary and conclusions, but I will skip and will not talk about summary and conclusions now in the first part. So we have some internal review indicators which were taken for all studies regarding country, sample size, age mean, purpose, methods, result means and conclusions. And you see here one study of Schmidt, physical activity and screen time of children and adolescents before and during COVID-19 lockdown in Germany. Uh, the participation rate is monitored in organized sport activities, participation in self-organized sport activities, and in how far due to COVID-19, we have a stronger change to habitual physical activities, like playing outside, doing gardening, homework, and what is the screen time load. This study have about 1,000 700 uh, children in the age of four to 17. We have four different sample groups. And uh, the purpose was first organized sport activities before versus during COVID-19. And secondly, self-organized sport before versus during uh, COVID-19. And the third item was HPA, the habitual physical activities before and during, and how is it with screen time? 
It was a traditional German questionnaire that was applied and results are, so organized sport participation runs down from, 80, from 28, 0.5 minutes to zero. So it was a close shutdown, lockdown for any organized sport, uh, whether it is in the school afternoon or if it is with the famous German sport clubs. However, self-organized sport was before the pandemic 6.6 minutes and that increased because of more outdoor activities at home. And uh, also the HPA <clears throat> increased from 107 to 143 minutes per day. And screen time was almost extended by 60 minutes, so one hour more screen time for the children during uh, the COVID-19 breakdown than compared before. In conclusion, total movement index increased by 11%. However, there is, from my point of view, an error because you can't compare the physical load and impact which organized sport has compared to self-organized sport or at least to any outdoor activities like gardening, homework, and so on and so on. Secondly, we have a lack of three PE lessons. So if there is an increase of informal uh, physical activities from six minutes to 24. In the calculation, we have to consider zero minutes for organized sport, no physical education lessons at school, and also no two lessons after school activities. So in, in, in detail, we have a tremendous decrease in physical activities because all school organized physical activities were shut down uh, during the first wave of Corona uh, pandemic in Germany. <clears throat> and in a second study, they, they already uh, wanted to know what has been changed between the two waves. Uh, again, the results show that organized sports before were only 28.5. In the second measurement, the first wave of Corona crisis, zero. And in the second wave, it only came up to 3.7 minutes per day. But now also self-organized sport, because we are talking about the second wave, which is winter time in Germany. So the second wave was October, November, 2020, December, and as you know, that is not the most famous time to do any outdoor activities for children and, and adolescents. So it's not striking that we have a decline from uh, 24.3 minutes in the first wave down to about 10 minutes in, in, this, in the second wave. Also playing outside was tremendously reduced, however, Screen time increased even more. And now you have almost 100 minutes more in the second wave of Corona compared to pre-Corona time. We have a total loss of sport activities, as you see, and the norm index of two hours physical activity was reduced from 61 0.9 minutes via 38 down to 30 minutes. So uh, more and more children didn't achieve the norm of 60 minutes per day. And it was almost half from 61 down to 36. A collection examples of European studies. I collected some studies to give you uh, typical features of the purpose and of the means of the results. So there's a very small, but I think important studies done in Italy in the city of Verona. And there are only 41 uh, children in the age range of six to 18 
and they were all uh, overweight. So it's a small overweight study and they wanted to know in how far overweight before Corona and within Corona change. And the purpose was use with obesity that are removed from structured school activities and confined to their homes during the coronavirus disease in 2020 pandemic display unfavorable trends in lifestyle behaviors. There were interviews done with the parents. It was a lifestyle questionnaire applied about sport, activity participation, screen time, sleep behavior, and eating habits. And it's quite nice to see that there are also aspects how far sleeping behavior and eating habits changed uh, due to Corona. Uh, pandemic. So the sport hours were tremendously reduced from 360 to, to 130. The screen time even tripled. So there was almost a triple down for the sport hours and a triple up for the screen time. And uh, parents reported that the consumption of potato chips, sugary drinks, and sweetened other products increased tremendously between pre-corona time and within corona time. So in conclusion, physical activity, eating, screen behaviors change in an unfavorable direction after three weeks during the strict national lockdown. We, we have to consider maybe for other uh, parts in Europe, but particularly on a global level, that's a lockdown, particularly for children and young and adolescents, where most strictly in Italy and Spain. So sometimes three months, I guess, Spanish children were not allowed to go outside or to do any outdoor physical activity. So that was the strongest lockdown in the view of children and adolescents, particularly in the countries of Spain and, and Italy. And what about physical motor development, physical fitness? So we have uh, a study of Grigor Stark from Slovenia as a part of the annual slow fit monitoring. And it's a regular monitoring test battery for different related motor components with the National Slow Fit Test Battery. And results means for boys and girls, they feel suffered from dropout of physical fitness. About 57% of the girls experience rise of body fat. So there was no measurement, but they feel rise of body fat. Even boys up to 58% agreed on that. The most dropped components due to Corona pandemic are aerobic endurance, particularly for, for boys and girls, and coordination. So coordination and aerobic endurance, but also other components like uh, leg power or, or any other power item was reduced, but most effective were aerobic endurance and coordination affected by Corona crisis. In conclusion, in the aftermath of COVID-19, we will not be able to work as we did before. I think that is a, a standpoint from, from Stark and from the Slovenian. I just uh, copied this. Everything will have to be intensified. The increase of time for new PE, learning in movement, rise of quality of PE delivery, and joint teachers of classroom and PE teachers, in particular in smaller groups due to Corona, but also to have it more effective in teaching and learning. This is a nice study from Spain and Italy. You see there were almost uh, 200 cities from Italy included more than 1,100 parents. Uh, the participation rate from Italy, it's a little bit uh, higher than in Spain. 
and they reported on their children aged three to 18 years. The mean area of the parents were about 40, so there's less difference between the sample groups. How quarantine affects minutes of daily physical activities, daily screen time and psychosocial effects on children compared to before and home confinement. And results are not surprising. Uh, physical activity done less than 30 minutes before the crisis went really up to 55%. So the lower amount of physical activity increase in percentage. And on the opposite side, uh, the amount of 120 to 180 minutes of physical activity a day uh, increased from 5.5 up to 20.9. That means we have also a split group. We have a more active group because of self-organized physical activities. And we have also a group with a tremendous decline. What I think is necessary to know that parents perceived up to 85% changes in the emotional state and behavior, difficulties reported by the children of concentration, boredom, restless, nervous, feels lonely, worries, feels angry, eats a lot. The quarantine impacts need to detect children with emotional and behavior problems as early as possible to improve their psychosocial well-being. And that is my final uh, European study. It's a 10-country study. Uh, and the countries you see with the highest COVID cases, Russia, Spain, Italy, Germany, France, and less affected by COVID cases, Belgium, Flanders, Portugal, Romania, Hungary, Poland, Slovenia. It's a tremendous study with more than 8,000 children and adolescents in the, in the age of six to 18. And it was done in May, June, 2020. When, when the first lockdown became uh, less uh, violent. Age mean is 13. And if you look to the, it's an online survey for younger participants and parents proxy report, 66% remained in structured routines. The lowest amount in Russia, the highest amount in Germany. 56% were active in online PE. That's quite surprising that in some countries across Europe, PE teaching in an online format was introduced in some countries and areas quite successfully. But as you see, we have a high variety. Only 2% in Germany uh, received online PE, whereas in Slovenia, it was almost up to 80%. So it's a big variety between the countries. 90% achieved daily 60 minutes norm of PA. And the minimum was not surprising, only with 7.5% in Italy. And again, Slovenia was more than 26%. It was an excess of more than two hours screen time, up to 70% was the excess. And uh, the meeting, the screen, time norm of two hours a day were, were failed in, in most of the countries. The conclusion, and I, I, I quote on Kovac et al, consists daily routines are important in helping children maintain healthy active lifestyle in pandemic situation. School should make PE lessons a priority. That was very awful in, in, in across Europe, I, I have to say, even there are some uh, sports in, in, in cities where, where PE was, was given online, but uh, with a total lockdown, the school were closed, PE was closed, sport club offers were closed. So it was really in the wave one from March up until June 2020 by zero. 
So a brief for the psychosocial, where we have a longitudinal uh, COVID wave one and COVID wave two in December until January. It's a longitudinal study with up to 85% identical uh, children in the sample group. Different instruments uh, were uh, included, kids screens, CARED, SDQ, and the health-related quality of life. That means HRQOL, health-related quality of life. And I think that is one important item. Uh, children with a low health-related quality of life before Corona were about 15%. And this portion of low quality increased in the second wave up to, in the first wave T2 up to 40 and even increased up to 47% in the second wave. And on the other hand, not surprisingly, children with a high health-related quality of life before corona, that's T1, we're about 16% and it comes down to 5.8 and even 5.7. So what is again a double, triple effect? It, it runs down uh, on a third level and, uh, and it runs up triple to, uh, to a higher level if it is uh, a low load or a high load for the screen time. In wave two, low health related quality of life, anxiety, depression, symptoms, and psychosomatic complaints had increased compared both to the pre-pandemic data and compared to wave one. So if we summarize this, I found three domains with a variety of indicators. So this is uh, the outcome of 68 European studies. And you see, we have three domains, which is not surprising, physical, motor health, psychosocial health, mental health. And uh, I marked in red, most important indicators we find in the European and German studies. And uh, there's of course also uh, effect between. So the lower the physical motor health is experienced or measured, it goes alongside with a reduction of psychosocial well-being. And also a low psychosocial well-being uh, is uh, affecting mental constraints, mental constraints. And I think this is less investigated in how far the reduce of physical motor health and fitness is causing psychosocial deficits and uh, uh, mental health problems, particularly low resilience, but also fewer social contacts, reduced inclusion and recognition. And what is finally surprising me, if you look to many interviews uh, of children and adolescents in Germany, of course, they are lacking their sport activities. But first of all, they do not experience any psychosocial contacts with their peers and are low motivated. And I think that is an item for physical education. I think the motor domain is important, but it's much more important to see uh, the benefits of physical activity from a psychosocial health and mental health uh, point. That is maybe the only positive outcome of different COVID-19 studies. It underlines the importance, which may be less uh, accepted in the past, how important this social meeting and social well-being is for children as a part of quality physical education. So I shut here and my summary I can do later at my conclusions. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Roland. No, so comprehensive, Roland. So there are questions in the chat, but in the interest of time, what I'm going to do now is turn to our colleague, Mark Tremblay, 
and Mark is going to make a presentation and we have questions in the chat that you can look at um, and we will bring it to a close then after Mark's uh, presentation. So thanks, Roland, an unbelievably comprehensive yeah. presentation. And over to you, uh, Mark. Mark, I think- We cannot hear you. We cannot hear you, Mark. You're on, um, you might be on mute. Could you just test that again for me? Thanks a million. Mark Trombley, and it's my pleasure yep. to be here. Uh, Perfect. In this VSEPS Connect uh, event. Um, I'm presenting here from my home in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, where um, I've been working for the last year and a half or so. Um, and, and my task today is to present on COVID-19 studies across the globe on physical activity, physical education and health, a comparative analysis, and particularly from a North American perspective. And I will say that because um, I'm from Canada and this is where I do my work, it'll be predominantly Canadian. But, uh, but I think the main messages will be uh, applicable to the United States as well. So the main question that I will try and uh, provide some information for is how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted healthy movement behaviors and related outcomes of school-aged children in North America. And before I get into the data, uh, I will just say, and this is uh, a Canadian perspective as well, that in Canada, we have very much gone to a new paradigm of looking at understanding and talking about movement behaviors as a whole. So here in this uh, image, you'll see on the left traditional thinking where um, those on this call are particularly interested in physical activity as it relates to healthy development. Uh, some perhaps also interested in sedentary behavior as it relates to healthy development and less so people that are interested in sleep. But regardless, each of these have been thought of and dealt with and analyzed according to just themselves in isolation. Um, and the model that we have adopted um, for a number of years in Canada now is that these three things are intertwined and you cannot pull them apart um, because they influence one another. And so the new paradigm is presented there in the middle as it relates to uh, healthy development. So that's just, uh, um, a bit of a preamble because uh, you'll see that sort of language, we're using that language throughout the presentation. All right, so right after the pandemic was called uh, March 11th, we began a process of data collection in Canada and within a month had a nationally representative sample of school-aged kids uh, with their parents answering for them. And it produced this paper, which has been very, very highly cited um, and looks at the exact uh, question of this uh, Connect Symposium. And to some, and, and I'll apologize in advance, I'm going to go through a number of papers. I don't have time to explain them. There's enough time uh, for the presentation, but we can talk about that after. But this is a synopsis of what this paper found. Um, so just to orient you to this, there are a bunch of different activities along the, um, the y-axis and along the x-axis. <clears throat> it um, Likert scale that goes from a lot less to a lot more with the identity line at three. So anything below three is less, above three is more. And so if you look at things, and uh, hopefully you can see my uh, cursor here, <clears throat> the top part are different physical activities, outdoor play, indoor play, sports, walking, chores, etc. And you can see most of them are on the side we don't want them to be on, that people are doing less outdoor play, less outdoor sports, less walking, more indoor play, and a little bit more chores. Then there's sedentary behaviors, and they've gone way up, screen time and social media use. Sleep time has gone up a little bit. Sleep quality, not much difference, so that one seems to be in pretty good shape. And then trying to tie them together to, uh, as all the healthy movement behaviors um, they've gone in the wrong direction. Time spent outdoors in general has gone in the wrong direction. Family time in physical activity has gone in the wrong direction. And we produced this infographic um, to summarize some of the results. And you'll see right in the middle, only 2.6% of our kids are meeting the 24-hour movement guidelines. 2.6%, almost none, are meeting the movement guidelines during the pandemic. Before the pandemic, about 15% were. 
So still most are not. We've got a problem, and I think we're all aware of that. It's gotten much worse during the pandemic. You can see other stats here. 79% are spending more leisure time on screens. That's not something that we want. 62% um, are being less physically active outdoors. But there, there are some lessons to be learned here too. Families with dogs are more active and are outdoors more. Uh, parents who play and go participate with their kids have more active kids and the kids are more likely to be meeting some of the guidelines. There's also spatial variation in um, these patterns. So uh, most of you aren't familiar with Canada probably, but I've got Canada broken into five regions, which is pretty common. British Columbia, the Prairies, Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes. So it's basically going from the west at the top, which is on the Pacific Ocean, to the east on the bottom, which is on the Atlantic Ocean. And you can see that in every jurisdiction, the time spent outdoors, which is on the left panel, um, and the time spent in outdoor play on the right panel has gone down. It's below three. But you'll also see that it hasn't gone down equally in each jurisdiction, with Ontario going down the most. Ontario is the province that I'm from and sitting in right now, and we had the most severe restrictions on using parks, on using trails, on going outside and so on. And, uh, and this seems to be reflecting in the movement behaviors of uh, kids and families. With the same data set, we did um, a decision tree analysis, which I don't have time to get into uh, to explain. And this slide is going to be very complicated to you. I know you can't uh, actually see the numbers, but let me just orient you to it. So this is the decision tree for children's likelihood of meeting all of the 24-hour movement behavior recommendations. So physical activity, sedentary behavior, screen time, sleep. And then the decision tree analysis takes the data and decomposes it to try and find out what explains things. And the higher the nodes are in the tree, the more that they explain. So you can see two levels of nodes here. The first one um, is the parental perceived capability to restrict children's screen time. That's the factor that is the most explanatory of children meeting uh, the healthy movement guidelines. So can you control your children's screen time? And, and, and this isn't just about screen time, this is about all the movement behavior. And when you compare the people that answer this question that they're neutral or below neutral on their, their reported ability to, to control their kids' screen time, virtually no kid meets the guidelines. Now remember, only 2.6% are meeting the guidelines anyway, so there's a very small number, but basically none meet it if the parents don't have the capability of controlling the screen time. On the other side, on the right-hand side of the screen in the box, it's those that agree or strongly agree that they, can, they do have this capability. And in this particular case, 10% are meeting the guidelines. So virtually all of that 2.6% of kids meeting the guidelines are coming from families whose parents believe that they can control the kids' screen time. There's other nodes below that I don't have time to explain, but we can talk about. I also have um, uh, data from a follow-up study that we did. So that first one was done within one month of the announcement of the pandemic. We repeated that survey six months later. So now seven months after the pandemic. And what did we find? Well, we found more or less the same thing. But that things were regressing, they were improving. They were regressing more towards where they were. Of course, where they were is not good enough, not what we want kids, but still better than where we, uh, where we were at the beginning of the pandemic. So here in this graph, it's the same graph uh, that I showed you from the paper a couple slides ago. And when you see green arrows, they're moving in a good direction. Red arrows moving in a bad direction. And you can see a bit of a mix of green and, and red arrows, but they're all regressing sort of towards the mean. Uh, that is becoming a little bit more like pre-pandemic, now seven months into the pandemic. Still in bad shape, still in worse shape than before the pandemic. Other people have done research on this as well, including our statistical agency in Canada, Statistics, uh, Statistics Canada. And they looked at the movement behaviors of all Canadians, all age groups, and compared youth to adults. And this is the title of the paper, Youth But Not Adults Report Less Physical Activity During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And this is during the 
across a much broader period than, than we were looking at. So it's a little bit mixed as to whether it was immediately after the pandemic, during the pandemic, and, and quite recently. And here's, here's the main story that you can see on the left uh, panel of slides that youth uh, physical activity compared to pre-COVID has gone down substantially, whereas adults hasn't changed at all. And in fact, older adults are reporting doing slightly more physical activity. If we decompose it further, now this is just uh, looking at the youth. So this slide is just on youth, but it's looking at the various segments of where we get our physical activity. And you can see that for the most part, they've all gone down. Active transportation has gone down. Recreation um, forcibly has gone down. You know, our sports uh, teams and so on were, were closed, our, our pools we couldn't access and things like that. So that went down. But went down, what went down the most was of course school-based physical activity. Our kids for the most part didn't go to school uh, during this time period. So they were at home. Physical education, if it was delivered at all, was delivered virtually and, and didn't work so well. And of course the time that you might've been physically active at lunch or recess at school didn't happen. So that was the biggest drop. Um, and at work, it didn't really change uh, for kids, for those teenagers that had jobs. Okay, so let's look a little bit at the U.S. children. Uh, so this is the impact of the coronavirus uh, pandemic on physical activity of U.S. children. And a very busy slide, but very Christmassy, so I wanted to put it in. We've got the green and red as we head into the holiday season. But let me orient you to this slide, and I'll, I'll pull up my... Uh, cursor again, hopefully you can see. So across the top is the way that physical activity was happening, alone, the siblings, the peers, parents, family. Down here, we've got preschool kids, elementary school, middle school, high school. And for each of them, whether there was activity in the yard or the neighborhood, the community, indoor, parent-led, uh, indoor or online. And if you see a red dot, it means it decreased. The size of the red dot is indicative of how much it decreased. The opposite for green dots means it increased. The size of the green dot, if it's large, means it increased quite a bit. And so you can see uh, some important patterns here. First, of course, kids weren't allowed to uh, participate with their peers. So that just didn't matter what the age group or where, where it was happening, it didn't happen. You can see in the community, uh, in, in uh, a few of the panels, that the parents and families were participating less with their kids in the community. Um, again, in Canada and much of the United States, this wasn't allowed. Things were closed, things were shut down, uh, leagues and, and, and sports were stopped. To try and compensate, it looks like people played alone in their yards to some uh, inside. So, a similar pattern to Canada expressed a little bit differently. But we also saw some cool things. So, I mean, mostly this has been bad news, it's, uh, as I think people would expect. But, but there was also some creative stuff that didn't happen. And the opportunity for kids to, to go back to the basics of playing in their yards and so on isn't necessarily something that we want to get rid of once we come out of the pandemic. And one of the things that happened, at least in Canada, was street reallocation um, efforts. So traffic was much less. Most people were working from home. Um, and so in many jurisdictions, they opened the streets to the people that were stuck in their homes, weren't allowed to go to uh, facilities and so on, but could rollerblade or, or skateboard or ride their bike or play ball hockey in the street. And to just summarize the results from this, two themes motivated street reallocations. Supporting mobility, recreation, and physical distancing in populous areas and bolstering COVID-19 recovery for businesses, bringing people back into the community. The scale of responses ranged across cities from Halifax adding an additional 20% distance to the bicycle network, to Kelowna, so you won't know these cities necessarily, but different cities in the country, to Kelowna, closing only one main street. So the point I wanna make, one of the points I wanna make here is that there's substantial variability. Interventions were located in downtown cores, areas with high population density, higher use of active transportation, uh, and close proximity to essential destinations. Makes sense and valuable to people and businesses. 
With respect to the sociodemographics, interventions tended to be implemented in areas with fewer children and areas with fewer visible minority populations. So some could argue more advanced, uh, advantaged or higher income populations. But in Victoria, the city of West, uh, the interventions were in areas with lower income populations and higher proportions of indigenous people, which in general would suggest lower socioeconomic status. So again, it wasn't a one-size-fits-all, and to generalize, it's difficult because there was variability across the country. We also collected um, qualitative data in addition to the quantitative stuff. So here is a result of, of one of our papers um, where interviews were done with a number of parents of children whose behaviors had changed. And we titled it, You Can't Go to the Park, You Can't Go Here, You Can't Go There exploring parental experiences of COVID-19 and its impact on their children's movement behaviors. The citation is there for you, it's open access. And the summary um, from the abstract is that findings emphasize various individual, for example, motivation, interpersonal, for example, parent work schedule, built, for example, closure of parks, and natural environment, for example, the weather, factors uh, to children's movement behaviors. So not one thing explained anything. Um, it's complicated, uh, as, as you might guess, within a socio-ecological model. The findings highlighted the loss of structured activities and destinations for children's physical activity and restricted opportunities for outdoor play exacerbated by shrinking childhood independent mobility. So parents actually allowed their kids to go and wander less, probably interpreting the guidelines um, that you know don't interact with people and so on as meaning you must stay indoors or constrain uh, the range of your children, which was not the actual recommendation. The main findings from this paper, there's a loss of structured activities that was legislated. There were limited opportunities for outdoor play, or at least so the parents thought. And there were pandemic-related rises in screen time, very substantially. All of us probably experienced that. And some of it forced uh, for school or for work. Just to take some qualitative uh, quotes, uh, <coughs> with respect to structured activities, Margaret from BC says, kids these days are very programmed. Every weekend was skating, gymnastics, dance, or swim lessons, and then everything was pulled. With respect to physical education, Fernando from Ontario summarizes, well, they suggested that we go out for a walk, things like that, but otherwise there was no formal class uh, that they started, no. Now again, this is very early on. This was only a month in. Everyone is still trying to hit their stride. The physical education community did adapt eventually, but early on, there was basically nothing to fill that physical education gap in Canada. So I've given you some, some studies that I was involved in, a few from the US. Um, those are cherry-picked, of course, but I want to reassure you that they are indicative of the research that's out there. We've recently published this scoping review uh, that looked at all the literature published up to the end of the first year after the pandemic. The pandemic was called in, the, in uh, March. We looked at all the published information up to the next March. Okay, it was published in the Journal of Sport and Health Science, also open access if you're interested in it. And I won't go through the, the PRISMA chart here, but down at the bottom, you can see there were 150 publications that we captured within the first year, looking at healthy movement behaviors um, in children and youth. And uh, there were 110 original studies. I presented five or six of them to you. There were six reviews already published and 34 editorial commentaries, basically stating things like I'm presenting in this, uh, this presentation. But it's amazing that 34 of them were published in the absence of actual data. So everything that I've presented so far is in alignment with the global literature, with data that comes from Brazil and Spain and all over Europe and uh, Australia and elsewhere. So just to sort of wrap up here in my last couple of minutes, we know that North American children today are less active, they're outdoors less, they spend more time sedentary, they spend much more time on digital screens and they sleep less than children in the past. In essence, their movement behaviors are out of calibration and the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated these problems. I think we can all agree on that. So what does this 
mean? What does it matter? And I, I'll just take this one example that I can show you, a micro simulation model on what is projected to happen to childhood obesity as a result of these changes. And again, I don't have time to explain this in much detail. You see a timeline along the bottom and obesity prevalence along the top. The control line, the bottom line there, is if there was no pandemic. So, and these are American kids, so they still project an increase in childhood obesity slowly. These numbers, these percentages are pretty small, um, but upward rising. But in any scenario that they could model, based on the information that they had, uh, various restrictions, removal of the bed, school from home, all these different things, it didn't matter what the scenario was, the projection for childhood obesity was worse. So take home messages here. Our kids are inactive and the pandemic has made things much worse. There is substantial variation within and between jurisdictions, situations and circumstances. One size does not fit all within Canada, within the United States or across jurisdictions. The pandemic has forced us to challenge the way we do things and how they've always been done. And in so doing, I think has created opportunity, a bit of a glass is half full, that we can do things differently. We can do phys ed differently. We can do physical activities differently. We can rearrange the balance of how we do physical activities differently. And I think we should look at this as an opportunity and not aim to return to the new normal being what we used to do. What we used to do wasn't working for most kids in North America. Now, I don't know if we have answers for what will work, but immediately aiming to get back to normal, normal being the same as it was, should not be our aspiration. And I will just end with saying childhood for best results, use outdoors, it's available almost everywhere. And during pandemics, it's the best and safest place for us to be. Thank you very much for your attention. My goodness, thank you very much, Mark. And I like that you ended on a high note, the, the innovation opportunity for physical education. We have literally got four minutes. This recording is going to go out, so there's no problem. People will interact with it. But I would like to just ask Mark Close, you, you asked a very pertinent question in the chat. Would you mind opening your mic and maybe posing it to both Roland and to Mark, please, because I think that's very relevant to us, please, yep. around ISF. Thank, thank you. you. First, thank you to the, the two presenters. It was very interesting and so challenging. But uh, my, my question in the chat was, okay, uh, we are all convinced that uh, lockdown made very dramatic uh, transformation of the, your behaviors and lifestyle and will have dramatic uh, effects. So, because now in many countries, the number of cases is increasing again, and some government are thinking about new restrictions. And I'm really uh, uh, worried about uh, the possibility to have a new lockdown and of course, restriction in sport and physical activities. So my question was, do you have any suggestion, uh, good practices uh, of action that we researchers could do, could implement uh, to avoid uh, such situation? Then Mark, you mentioned that we have to do differently it could be also interesting to have some examples of that. Then thank you for uh, your ideas. Well, uh, I can comment quickly and pass to Roland, but um, well, first everyone needs to get vaccinated. As of today, starting today, um, uh, children five to 11 in Canada can get uh, vaccinated. And, and so there are lineups uh, as, as we speak with that happening. And that allows us to get back to normal, even in the presence of uh, a fourth wave or fifth wave or whatever uh, the situation is. Um, we're not as bad here in Canada right now as I see in, uh, in different European countries right now. So, but, but, you know, I, I think we look to the, the, the data and we look to common sense. And when you've got a communicable disease, always being outside is the best thing. Being inside is where communicable diseases get transmitted. Um, and uh, so however 
physical education can exploit that. And they are in Canada here. Um, and then right after we're done, I'll take my dog for a walk and we're going to see kids in the schoolyard that we go by. It's pretty cold here this morning and snowing. Um, and they will be outside doing their physical education, which in the past would have always been inside. And of course, a combination is probably the best thing, but we've got to exploit the great outdoors and we can do it when kids are at home. We can do it uh, whenever. And so on the simplest level, the messaging that, you know, um, you're locked down, meaning that you have to stay indoors is a terrible, terrible message. Families should be outdoors. Kids should be outdoors. Phys ed should be outdoors. Sports, if possible, should be outdoors. That, I think, is on the biggest implementable level what we've learned from the pandemic. And I'll stop there. I think that's a great point. Um, could I ask just for a second, I think, Erin, you've, you've raised a point around low uh, socioeconomic um, status. Have you done any comparisons um, on that, uh, Mark, in particular? I think it was directed to you. Any comparisons in your, in your uh, research on that particular point? Yeah, um, and, and certainly uh, I think low SES families have been hit harder than high SES families, but again, not universally. And so I think we need to be really careful about this. I didn't have time when I was showing the decision tree model. The next node down actually identified family income level as an important factor, but not nearly as important as being able to control your kid's screen time. Um, and some families with low income who can't afford to have their kids in all the structured sport, like the, the quote from the qualitative study that I, that I said there, They've already built in resilience to deal with the fact that they're, they're not involved in sport all that much because they can't afford to be, but their kids are out playing ball hockey. They're playing in the park. They're playing in the yard. They're climbing trees. They're doing these things. So some low SES families have it figured out better than high SES families. Okay. In general, the pattern that people would expect to be concerned about is there, but not universally. Okay, thank you. And I'm just conscious of, of time here. Roland, I just want to turn to you maybe for a final comment. You might have a final comment to make to colleagues, because we really appreciated your comprehensive review as well. So it's been an unbelievable session. So over to you, Roland, maybe you have a comment to make. And you're, I think you're on mute, Roland. Um, we had to say it somewhere in the meeting. We also have to say it to somebody. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, no, I'm there. Well, I'll Sorry. Question of, of Mark Cruz. I think a really common item wherever we are in Canada, Europe, or Australia, we must fight and we must insist that schools are not closed and that physical education has to re establish as a priority school subject. However, we have to take in mind the safety criteria. As Mark already said, outdoor, but I think there are also opportunities if the gym is big enough and we have half class sizes that in winter time, there are also possibilities to do physical activities indoor in a small group. But we have to fight for the ongoing priority of physical education, particularly if there will be uh, another breakdown or another wave of corona. Thank you, Roland. And yes, sorry, Roland. Sorry, apologies. No, no. You're good, you're good. So just from our point of view, um, and this, I, I just sense this is almost part one. <laughs> of this conversation, really, like we've only touched the tip of the iceberg. I, I hate that expression, but it's actually true. Uh, so certainly from our point of view, as we wrap it up, I really firmly believe from what we've just heard here today, it's only data-driven decisions we should be making in the pandemic. Um, with that in mind, we can't return to the old normal. That's not what we need to do here. We have to progress, we have to learn through the data, and we have an innovation opportunity here. We have a superb profession, but it's trying to galvanize the profession and to restore confidence in, in what's possible for, our, for our physical education. And the last, I suppose, message from Mark Tremblay was around the outdoors and the power of the outdoors and the safety of the outdoors, uh, coupled, as you said, with vaccination as well, Mark. So I think this is part one, and I think we might be returning to the two of you again 
uh, for, for the next round of this. It'll, it'll turn into a Netflix series at some point, I'd say, guys. Uh, so thank you sincerely to everybody. Um, Mark, do you, the other Mark, Mark Close, would you like to make a final comment before we let our colleagues go? And thank you sincerely, everybody. And you're on mute as well, Mark. I said it twice in one meeting. This is fabulous. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> yes, it's better like this. Then uh, thank you again to our two presenters. Of course, I accept the coffee are too short, but uh, it's important to keep them. Uh, we were many uh, in front of uh, our computer uh, to, to listen and to share. Uh, we believe that it could be interesting to uh, propose some symposium on that uh, specific topic during the next ISEP World Congress next June. Uh, it will be organized in Golden Coast in Australia, but uh, according to the COVID, maybe um, some of us uh, will have to stay online, but both aspects will be proposed. So please uh, keep, the, uh, keep in touch and uh, look if it's possible for you to submit some project of symposium during that important meeting next June. And we will have four days to uh, propose such activities. So again, uh, check if you, if you are here, I suppose that you received the ISEP information. So keep in touch. Thank you again for being here with us. Sorry for the short period for that kind of uh, activity, but it's important to keep in touch. Fiona, last word for you. Yeah. Just to thank Cassandra, as always. She's superb and she's our, our door person, um, our bouncer and our organizer. And Cassandra, thank you sincerely. And stay safe and well and happy holiday season to everybody and happy Thanksgiving to any of our American colleagues on the call as well. So take care, everybody, and we'll see you very soon. Submit those abstracts to ISEP 2022. That's my last comment. Okay, take care, everyone. Bye. Great to meet everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.